Hello and welcome to episode 230 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now coming up on today's episode is a returning guest. I only spoke to him a couple of months ago as part of my 2000 Trees Festival specials. But during that interview, I invited him back and really wanted a whole episode dedicated to just him. And here it is. And I'm thrilled to announce that on today's episode, I'm joined by the anti-flag frontman, one of the best songwriters in the industry and all-round nicest people that I've ever interviewed on Mark and Me. Yes, I'm joined by the one and only Justin Sane. This for me is a great interview from start to finish. We hit it off when we met at 2000 Trees, as I said a couple of months ago. And for me, he's just an incredible, genuine, beautiful person. And that will come across on today's interview. And that will be coming up in just a couple of moments time. I always like to use the intro for every episode of Mark and Me to touch base and talk about my last episode. On episode 229, I was joined by Marilyn Gigliotti. We talked all about working with Kevin Smith, returning to Clerks Free, and so much more. And it was one of my most downloaded episodes this year, and the response was amazing. So thank you so much to everyone, and a massive thanks to Marilyn and Brian for sharing the episodes across all of their different networks. It made a massive jump in my numbers, and the response was huge, so thank you. But today, it's all about anti-flag, or anti-flag if you're one of the Americans listening. This is so good and I can't wait to get to it. So let's do it. Here's me and Justin talking all things music. So Justin, thanks for coming back on the Mark and Me podcast. Absolutely good to be back. Thanks for having me. Justin, what I like to do is take it right back to the very start. So I want you to tell me about those first albums that you remember buying that literally made you fall in love and know that you wanted to be in a band. Uh, well... I didn't know that I wanted to be in a band right away, but the very first record I purchased, I know it really well. There was a big chain in America called National Record Mart. And, um, you know, where I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, that was sort of one of the only places available to me as a young person to like buy records. Um, and at that point it was records, right? So it wasn't even CDs. Um, and the very first, uh, record I ever bought was Meet the Beatles. Um, and, uh, you know, that was like just incredible to take that record home and put it on. And it'd be such a like badass rock and roll record. You know, it's really like probably like the most rock and roll record the Beatles have, you know, like in the true sense of rock and roll, um, like R&B rock and roll. Um that's a huge foundation to start with, isn't it? Like, you don't go in easy. Like, here you go. Here's the Beatles, one of the biggest, most influential bands of all time. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like, as an adult now, I'm amazed that that is the record that I went home. <laughs> like, and I I saved my money. Like, I, I, was, I, I was honestly in probably, like, third, probably second or third grade, you know, and I'd been saving my money. I told my parents I wanted to buy a record, you know, and, and so um, I'd get, you know, a dollar here and there, you know, it was like, you know, it probably took me forever to get like seven or eight dollars, whatever it cost to go buy a record. And um, but for some reason, that record stood out to me. It was just like the way the guys looked on the record cover. Like, I don't know. They just looked like a professional band to me in my mind. And, um, and I, you know, I listened to that record for months, you know, um, 
And, uh, but I, uh, luckily though, for me, I did have uh, eight brothers and sisters. I, my parents were Irish and Irish Catholics, you know, and yeah, that is from Ireland and my mom's parents are from Ireland. So there was no birth control in the works, you know, it was like, um, and I ended up being the nice kid. So I grew up around just like a ton of music. Um, like my mom loved Bob Marley and Willie Nelson. And um, my brothers and sisters liked Boston and Kiss and, you know, kind of all the old classic rock. The Beatles were like a mainstay. Um, but, um, you know, the Sex Pistols and the Clash and the Ramones factored in really heavily into the household. And when I was about 11, though, my sister played Black Flag for me. And um, she she herself was like died in the wool punk rocker, you know. And I was just like 11. I, I kind of didn't know what I was or what I was about. I listened to like pretty much whatever the popular music was at the time. Like it was like Huey Lewis in the news and Michael Jackson. You know? um, and my sister said, Hey, I want you to come into my room. I want to play something for you. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't really have any expectations. I just thought she wanted to play something for me. And she played spray paint the walls by black flag, which is like a 45 second noisy, like, you know just totally like uh exciting yeah punk jam you know it's like hardcore banger and the chorus he just yells out spray paint the walls it's really like the only words you can make out in the whole song and i immediately was like what is this i this is now my favorite thing and very shortly thereafter, I was like, I need to have a band. I need to be in a band. And and I think probably that same sister could see that in me. So she and she probably figured out that I was at the right age. And um, so she influenced me probably like musically in a lot of ways more than anyone, because she at the time, like, you know, I kind of was interested in playing the drums and she knew some people in some local punk bands. So she helped me buy a, a cheap drum set. Um, and then later she gave me my first guitar, which I still have that guitar. And, um, so, um, but it was probably, you know, with that listening to black flag and being like, wow, this is really like what punk is about. And then because of that, I, I, I all of a sudden became like super interested in punk. Like I'd always been aware of the Ramones. I liked the Ramones. I knew the sex pistols. I really thought they were a cool band, you know, but it, all of a sudden I was listening to anything that was punk. I was just like ingesting it. And, um, and, and I would say that those were the records for the next couple of years. It was just like pretty much black flag, the sex pistols and maybe it, the Ramones and one or two other bands. And our generation X was a record that was around our house. So that, that was one. Um, and, you know, maybe one or two others, but the, those were the main I mean, records that really made me want to be in a band. And what about gigs? Because music changed for me the moment I went to my first gig. And one of the early ones was Green Day on their um, Dookie tour. So that shows uh -huh. my age. 
Yeah. Uh, and I was blown away. I couldn't believe that three people were making that much noise. And Billy Joe, when he was singing, I was like, fucking hell, he's, his vocals are incredible. And watching Trey on the drums, I was like, my ribs were shaking, my hairs on my neck were sticking up. And that's when I wanted to be in a band. But what was it like for you? Can you remember those first gigs you went to and saw it actually on a stage and made you think, fuck, like, this is what it's all about? Yeah, well, you know, the thing about Green Day, it's still kind of amazing that three people can sound that good <laughs> and and sound that full. Like, it, Green Day really is a special band, especially live. Like, it's it's kind of hard to believe, to be honest, like, from my point of view. Um, but, um, yeah, like, I knew I wanted to be in a band, honestly, like, way before I went to a gig. I just, I loved the music. I, I loved learning an instrument and trying to play and recreate things. I saw this documentary um, on TV called Another State of Mind, and it was about uh, social distortion in this band called Youth Brigade. Um, and they bought an old school bus and they fixed the school bus up and they traveled across the states uh, as like a touring punk punk outfit um and it was 1982 and i saw that and that really captured my imagination and that was sort of like i was sort of like the first like underground diy kind of punk thing i'd ever seen like and it gave me a sense of like what a show must be like and i had never even gone to a gig yet and um and, you know, because it wasn't polished, it really showed like what the DIY, like underground scene, what it was kind of like to be in a band. Um, and they 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 make it across the States and they ended up going to D.C. and they meet Minor Threat and they stay at Minor Threat's house. So kind of all the like these really, you know, influential people in punk or sort of in this this documentary. I recommend it to anybody because it's really interesting and it really gives you an insight into like what the early American punk scene was like and very much like what the punk scene that I grew up in was like. I've literally just written it down on literally on my notebook here. I've just written it down. So I'm like, I'm downloading that later. Yeah. It's really a very interesting documentary and had so much influence on me. And like, as a result, like social distortion became like such an important band for me and Mike Ness's guitar playing is what really made me want to, learn how to play guitar and be a lead guitarist and um but the first gig i ever went to was probably shortly thereafter my sister took me to um the, sort of just the the punk place i mean it was like it was basically like a squatted building that did diy shows um and i mean it was it's funny to think about it now but it it's it was like a movie like if you saw like a movie like a cheesy movie and they had like a cliche punk hangout that's what it was you know like just like spray painted walls and guys breaking bottles like and, you know, like <laughs> like a generator like to run like amps and you know a keg of beer in the corner and you know like 60 people there you know like in like a abandoned like industrial area of pittsburgh you know so it kind of had all those elements. And so it was fucking scary. You know, I was really young and <laughs> I was like, it just blew my mind. I'd never been around anything like that. And it was really exciting. 
you know, I was like, it always felt like something could go terribly wrong, but it was, it was also really exciting. And I, I met actually like a lot of really nice people. That was the thing that kind of struck me. It was like almost everybody there was, was nice. And some of them were really friendly. Some people were clearly like really fucked up, you know, on drugs or like just crazy, you know, they, people that felt crazy to me. Um, but it was very outside of the mainstream. And I just thought like, wow, this is really interesting. Like I don't get this like at school or in the little suburban, you know, uh, neighborhood that I've grown up in. Like I was like, God, I want to do more of this, you know? <laughs> so, um, and the band that headlined that night was called knife dance. And they're, um, they were actually a really great band. They were from Cleveland and their, their emblem though was like, like the Norman Bates, like hand holding the knife. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was like, I was like, wow, man. Harrowing. Is... Yeah, it was harrowing. It was like really intense, you know? And, um, and then there was another band. They were more of like a post punk band. They were called my dad is dead. And it was just two guys with the drum machine. And I, I should actually like look them up because that was, they were pretty cool. They were probably, and they were like good. Like they, they, their songs were pretty good. Um, but they were um, probably like post-industrial kind of, um, you know, post-punk kind of band. And they were probably on like one of the bigger indie labels at the time, probably like an SST or something like that. So that would be kind of interesting for me to look up. But I was seeing what they were doing and I just thought like, yeah, I think I could do this. You know, I just have to like find some people who would, who would want to do this with me. So like kind of the quest started there and I, my sister was in an early in, incarnation of anti-flag with me, like in the late 80s, but that only lasted for a short time. And then um, she became a pilot, actually, an airplane pilot, because she was quite older than me. And then, uh, then you know, at that point, I just started looking around to like different people who, who were like interested in playing music. And I, that's when I found our drummer, Pat, um, because we played on the same soccer team together we were like as kids we were <laughs> we were on a pv soccer team together and i knew he had a drum kit um so i kind of reached out to him but he was into like pink floyd and like oh, right. uh, very different yeah totally different like he was he was like kind of just like your average american suburban kid that listened to rock and roll and um you know i had to kind of bring him along like i played like Fugazi for him and he thought it was terrible and I played like seven seconds for him and he told me it had it, it he was like yeah that doesn't have any uh melody you know <laughs> I played uh when I played Generation X for him he told me Billy Idol couldn't sing you know it was like wow it was pretty funny like it was like so foreign to him because he didn't kind of grow up with any other kind of influence other than like Creedence Clearwater Revival and like whatever whatever 70s kind of like rock and roll was playing on the radio in Pittsburgh because that's Pittsburgh was like a mid you know mid-Atlantic you know uh kind of midwestern rust belt town and that's that's what's on the radio in those kind of areas so did you go into it straight away always wanting to sing or was it something that you just couldn't find a singer or were you always wanting to be that guy that had the guitar and was able to sing at the same time yeah, so I was actually like a drummer at that point. And um, 
but I did have a guitar, which I was really bad at. It took me a really, really long time to learn just like the basics of guitar. I, I just couldn't get it, you know? Um, and, uh, but because Pat played drums too, and, you know, over time we, we started hanging out more and more and we would go to shows together and he kind of was coming around to punk. He was like starting to see like, Oh yeah, I get what you like about this. Um, and so we were like, well, let's have a band together. So at that point, like I had the guitar, you know, and he had the drum set. So I kind of, like you were saying, like I kind of fell into it cause it was just a necessity. I mean, going to shows, I'm always blown away. Um, bands like Billy talent, when I go and see them, the way that they can come on stage and from the moment they walk on, they've kind of got me. Um, and I think there's yeah. a lot of pressure on a front man because if you're a bit of a recluse and you stand back and you're not really into it, but even if you're the best singer on the planet, if you're not got that kind of stage presence, it's really hard to kind of captivate an audience. And I've seen you play a few times over in the UK and you've got it and you've got what it takes. But is that something that you never take for granted because you've kind of got to work at it, haven't you? And always make sure that you keep it because the crowd and an audience can always see straight through it. If you're kind of phoning it in and just kind of half hearting it. To be totally honest with you, I think, I think there's like a couple of different kind of front people that I've interacted with in my life. And um, there's the people that are like, they're, they're like, um, like, like Zach Della Roca from Rage Against the Machine. Like, yeah, that guy is charismatic no matter what he's doing. Like he's care, like he's tying his shoe and he's charismatic, you know, like it just doesn't matter. Like, or, or Ian McKay, like for my address is very similar. Um, and I think like Frank Carter is that way, you know, yeah. like he, he just oozes like a confidence and I don't think it, he has to work at it. I just think that's who he is. And um, so when they walk on the stage, it just comes with them, you know, it's just, it, and it never goes away um i think that ben from billy talent is that way um then i think there's like a totally different kind of front person that's like a joey ramon like somebody who is probably like more shy and more um a little more reclusive you know and uh and but when they walk on stage it's like the most comfortable place in the world for them and so they just light up, you know, and I, I honestly like, like put myself more in that category. I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not like I can, can't talk to people or I don't enjoy meeting people. I do, but like, I, I think for me, like actually walking onto a stage, it's like, cause I was, you know, like definitely like more of an awkward kid growing up and that kind of thing. I, and just I've always kind of been an outsider in, in, in society. Like the stage always felt like a place where I was like, oh, I, I get this and I feel good here. This, this is where like this makes sense to me being here. So um, so for me, I always like when I would go on stage, that's just how I felt. And um, and, and, you know, for that reason, I've just always enjoyed walking out on the stage. Do you think it's just part of you? It's just like you said, people like Frank Carter is an incredible example. You know, I've seen him at festivals and 
by the time he said hello, everyone tries to be at the front to be close to him. He's just yeah. on yeah. another level. Um, yeah. yeah. But, you know, do you still get nervous? Do you go onto that stage thinking, fucking hell, like, like 2000 Trees was a big festival. Were you thinking, Jesus, like, this is, even after all these years, do you still get that kind of empty stomach feeling and like, oh my God, we need to really put on a good show? You know, the only time I get that is if I just don't feel really prepared. You know, if I, you know, if we're like doing a lot of new songs and we haven't really had a chance to like practice them or discuss how we want to do them. Um, you know, under preparation for me is a thing that can lead to some anxiety. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, like our bass player, he just fucking goes. He doesn't give a fuck. He's like, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. He just goes. Where I'm a person that like, going on the stage i do like to i mean it it's funny because we wing it a lot you know i think every band does especially if you're playing out a lot like things change and you're trying new things all the time so so you have to wing it um but that's when i feel anxiety about going on stage otherwise like it's the easiest thing in the world for me like it's like and and i mean i've played we played a festival in Poland for like 350,000 people. Like we were just like right in the swing of like our set. Like we are, we were like right in the middle of our tour and like we had a headline set that we were playing and it was just so automatic to me. And I really just enjoyed the fact that we were in front of that many people. It never, I don't even think it occurred to me to like be nervous because I just felt really confident about what we were doing. And, you know, I always like have this attitude that like no matter what your circumstances are when you do a show, you should always do your show. Like, and you know, sometimes like you'll play a festival or something and they'll want to put certain restrictions on you or say, Hey, you can't do this, or you can't say that, or whatever. And I always like remind the guys before we go on with a show like that, like, hey let's just go do our show and don't even think about any of that stuff because like the minute I think that you start catering your show to somebody else for whatever agenda they have, um, that's when, you know, you're talking about like that authenticity that people can see yeah, through. Exactly that. Yeah. Like, and, and I've seen it, I've seen it happen. It's happened to us like in, uh, many years ago, which is why I'm really adamant about it. Like you, you really have to be true to what you're there to do and just who you are. And if you're not, then just stay home. <laughs> I love that advice. And it's so true. And I think a lot of bands um, do just kind of go on and cater to what they've been told. And I don't think they realize the crowd can tell. Um, the yeah. audience aren't stupid. The people that have paid money to see that band want to see the show they expect. Yeah, and, you know, people, especially, like, the core people who go to gigs, like, I mean, they've seen a lot of shows. Like, they're, they're like, they, they have a, a, an intelligence about them when it comes to seeing music because they love it, you know? Like, I'm, this, I'm one of those people. Like, I see a lot of different stuff. Uh, and, you know, like, you can kind of tell when a band's just, like, phoning it in or, or, or it's not real. or So I, I, I will say, like, I think most people, when they join bands, you know, there is for a lot of people, especially like a rock and roll band or, you know, of that, 
of that coming out of that world like there is kind of like this anti-authoritarian streak in those kind of people anyway so i think they kind of tend to they're they're in a band because they want to be themselves and yeah and, and so i think it's most bands are pretty legit about they just go out and they are who they are but um but yeah you know it's really interesting because like uh talking to a local promoter in pittsburgh one time and he was telling me that like of the ticket sales that he does like even going across genres like you know within rock you know it's like alternative rock punk metal um he said no like there's only such a there's only a, a certain pool of people who go to like club gigs in town and out of the people that that go to like out of all the people that go to those shows he said there's usually like a 60 to 70 percent crossover with those people and then you have people on the peripherals who make up the rest of your crowd and i thought it was really interesting like talking about like you know who goes to shows it's like pretty small percentage of people who regularly go to gigs in a city and 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 so when i talk about like you know an audience like being being pretty like like uh you know smart about what's happening like it's because you know it's it's uh, people who go to shows go pretty regularly and they see a lot of stuff even if that even if regularly is six shows a year that's a lot more than a lot of people go to do you try and go to shows when you aren't playing do you still try and get out there and see loads of bands even if they're not big bands you yourself get the time to kind of break away and just be normal and just enjoy bands or do you just kind of do that when you're playing shows and not on stage yourself yeah it's something that i've really uh lamented about the fact that i really have gotten away from it and you know the pandemic really got me thinking about that and um and uh I, I really want to <laughs> haven't done this yet, but plan on sitting down and, and writing a list of bands that I want to see and sort of. Um, so probably like over the last 10 years, I kind of really got away from from seeing uh, other bands and 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 just going to shows and enjoying it. You know, I usually would go to a show in town when friends were playing. And, you know, that's that's what I would go out for. I think that there's like being in a, a, a band that tours so much, like a lot of times you come home, you know, you kind of just are happy to to be on that break, you know, and just to be out of it. Um, but, you know, it was interesting over the pandemic. I was thinking about the fact that, like, I, I've always enjoyed like being an audience member and like seeing seeing other like all different genres of music and and uh realizing that like i should really get back on track with that so that's something like um i plan to do i'm still a little leery of being in big crowds if i don't have to because um my dad's really old and uh we kind of have a lot of restrictions around him still with covid but um you know i think there'll be a time where uh it'll it'll be easier for me to do that and i'll get out there and do more of that what i've been noticing when i'm speaking to a lot of bands recently i've had bands on that have been on you know that have been going a long time bands like everclear and incubus and bands like that jimmy world recently and it is kind of blows my mind that these bands still have the drive and passion and 
that oomph in them that still want to go out there and play shows after so many years and write music. And you've fallen into that category. You've been going a long time and you seem to be like a, like a, a legacy band, if that makes sense. Now, uh, when you go to a festival, it's like, you're not this new, exciting, brand new band on the scene. You've built up this reputation of being legends. And what is it that is inside you that keeps on wanting to do it when so many bands kind of fall at that either second or third hurdle after a, a tough album, maybe the third or fourth album where they really struggle to come back strong, but you guys just keep going for it. Yeah. You know, that is interesting. Cause you're right. Like there, I like, I remember when there was a point where a lot of our contemporaries, like bands that started around the same time that we started and they were, um, bands that we toured with a lot and all of a sudden the kind of we're quitting you know yeah. um i think part of it in all honesty is that they just were just not making quite enough money to be able to keep doing it it was like they could have kept doing it but it just wasn't worth it you know it was too hard and um because, you know, money is reality, especially as you get older. And if you're having kids, um, you know, it, it, it's really hard to be in a touring band. Um, so, you know, I think that for like some of the contemporaries that we started out with and that we were friends with, we we had in place just a slightly better, like I'm going to call it like a machine because we've got some really great people around us that help keep this the wheels on this thing um but um and maybe we we just drew a, a little bit better to the point where we could actually keep it going um but also like i i also think too though that like there is sort of this programming in certain people maybe where they just grow up in it in a way that it's just more of a passion for them than it is for others and maybe it's just because it's really what they've it's all they've really known and it's it's what they've been around for so long that they just can't imagine being in any other world or or living any other kind of life like i mean look at paul mccartney i mean the guy started playing he's like 11 or something right and he's still playing gigs <laughs> like or like he doesn't need to i mean no. why would Partner or Alton John or Bruce Springsteen play a show like they don't need the money you know and like but clearly you know I for certain people I, I do think that there's another gear you know or like as a spinal tap reference like they're they just they can turn it up to 11 like you know in a <laughs> the other people they don't have that extra drive you know like I I think like I know like our drummer for example right now like we were talking about the other day and he, for him right now like playing shows is like one of the most important things in his whole life like it makes his life make sense and like the guy has a good life like he's got two great kids and a nice wife like he you know when he comes home like he's got a good life it's not like he's trying to run away from it but there you know i've never seen a drive in somebody as much as there is for him where it's like it's just, he can't even explain it, you know, and I, I really couldn't either, but it, it just gives meaning to life. And I, maybe a big part of it is just doing what we're doing right now, where it's like, you're connecting 
with other people in the world. And, you know, I think so much of music, it, that's really what it's about. It's about like creating that connectivity with other people and um, realizing that like, okay, there's so much good in the world. And, you know, especially I guess in times when I, you know, when times are hard, when you can have that connectivity with other people, you can realize like the world has a chance. Like, it's funny, like we, you know, we played a pretty small punk show the other night. Um, and, um, you know, a friend of ours is saying like, well, God, is it really worth playing a show like this? You know, like, and also like, you know, you guys have a message, like, you know, don't you want to just always be in front of people with your message? And it's kind of like, well, you know, I think like if you're talking about punk as like a community and, or just alternative music or any kind of music as a community, um, you know, the show is very much like church, you know, people go to church every week to like remind themselves that uh, this is a community that's important to me and the values of this community are important to me. And I, I think, you know, for people who play in bands for a long time, maybe that is, maybe that's what's happening. The reinforcement of, you know, this is sort of the life I chose and being around these people is what reinforces to me that this is important and that it matters. I love it, man. It's, um, it's beautiful to listen to. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are listening right now and kind of going, fuck me i agree but it might not be in they're in a band it might be in the job they do or being a dad or being a husband or a wife but if you've got that passion and that level to take it up to 11 you've got you've got to look after that and treasure it yeah yeah for sure for sure i i 100% agree when we spoke, and you might remember this at 2000 Trees, I always end the interviews with asking any guest that's been on, and we're over 225 episodes now, but you get to choose the outro piece of music. And I can't even remember on the spot what you chose, but I remember it was Poppy. It was a female American singer. It was very different to other stuff that I imagined. I bet it, uh, it was it. Um... Was it Carly Rae Jepsen? It was. It was Carly Rae Jepsen. That was exactly it. And I was blown away because I was expecting you to pick some punky, dark, <laughs> either old metal track. But no, you were like, let's have some fun. And it was so random because we had this 2003 special with like Jimmy World and Frice and all these bands. And then it ended with Carly Rae Jepsen. And I'm putting you on the spot again, dude. So what would you love this time around to end today's episode on? Well, you know since we we were talking about our drummer and his his phone rang while we were doing this this episode so maybe that's why it was in my subconscious but i'm going to say bob seger against the wind i think wow. that uh, i think that that track will um will will capture some of what we've we've been talking about today <laughs> that's amazing and again one that i would never imagine in a million years you're always going to keep surprising me but um it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on my friends and i'm looking forward yeah. to uh lies they tell our children it's a while away yet but awesome. you know it's awesome. going to be it's going to be exciting i hope that you guys are over in the uk so we can catch up and yeah yeah know. absolutely please reach out because we will be yeah so that's amazing and uh thanks so much for coming back on man and you sound so full of life and 
every time I speak to you, I always like end our call or end our interview, and I'm always like inspired. I feel like picking up a uh, notepad uh, and writing again. So thanks so much for coming on. Well, please do pick up that notepad and start writing. I love it. I love I will it. Do. I'm going to watch that documentary and I'm going to, uh, yeah, it's all good, man. Amazing. Yeah. Great talking to you. Right back at you. Take good care and uh, hopefully we'll see you next year. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Justin. And he honestly is one of my favorite guests. And I'm so glad that we got to make it work that he came back on for his own episode. But do go back and check out his last appearance at the 2000 Trees Festival specials because that also is magic and I just absolutely love him. We hit it off straight away, the chemistry is there and he is genuinely one of my favourite people. I really hope he comes back on again next year and I can't wait for new music from Anti-Flag and hopefully a British tour and so many festival dates next summer. If you've enjoyed today's episode, the episodes will always be free. But all I ask in return for listening to today is just to hit that retweet button if you see it on Twitter, to hit the share button on Facebook, or why not put it on your stories on Instagram? It goes a long way. One of your friends or followers might just see it and go, I'll check it out. They listen to the interview, they go back and listen to all 229 other episodes, and then they're there for the ride. They stick around for all future episodes. And that is publicity that money can't buy. So please, if you've enjoyed today, hit that retweet button. Also, I do have a Patreon account, and the link for that is on markandme.com. This podcast, like I said, will always be free. But if you can afford maybe £2 a month, what you'll get in return is me giving you at least two episodes every week. Thanks to my friends at Richer Sounds, you'll have an opportunity to win some incredible prizes. This month, you'll be getting an exclusive episode just for Patreon. When you sign up, you get a Mark and Me badge, you get some stickers, and honestly, I'll always give you lots of surprise gifts, as many prize giveaways as I can, and all the money that you give into Mark and Me goes right back into the podcast. I don't pay myself, it buys equipment, allows me to host the podcast on all these different directories, and travel the country to record more and more face-to-face interviews, so you guys at home get better quality and more podcasts. Like I said, the link's on markandme.com and every single bit that you can donate to Mark and Me goes a massive way. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, listen to Anti-Flag, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon. Seems like yesterday
myself alone Surrounded by strangers I thought were my friends Find myself further and further from my home And I guess I lost my way There were oh so many roads I was living to run and running to live Never worried about paying or even how much I owe Against the wind. 